0: You're listening to Between Two Ravens with Sean and David. Today it's just David. I'm uh, recording a short episode today, talking about the connection between some of my philosophy and psychology writing and Norse mythology. So it's both for maybe people who've listened to the podcast before to understand a little bit of well somewhat why I do the uh, the podcast and why why my why I see the connection with my writing and for people who've read my philosophy writing to explain what it is um, that I've been working on with Sean on this uh, for this past year on the Norse mythology podcast. Before I start though, I wanted to mention that. So for the fireside chat, um, Sean and I discussed it and rethinking it, we're going to have it open and available kind of free to for everybody to attend. Um, we want all our fans to be able to show up and meet us at a video and um, video session. We'll be kind of recording a episode live. Sean will be reading by a fireside and then to do a kind of question and answer and meet some of the fans. And uh, we're actually going to be doing that through the walled garden is the plan. So we still don't have a date yet. It's going to be early January, um, kind of to celebrate the one year anniversary of Between Two Ravens. And we have a work in progress. They're they're already working on our uh, Viking drinking horns. Uh, that we have a, a custom design, and it's going to take a little while to ship them from England over to here. So that's another one of the reasons for the for a delay. But Sean and I were, you know, have busy schedules. We're enjoying doing some short episodes, and we're still going to be uh, wrapping up the series and the season on Loki with uh, a full episode on Loki's capture coming up soon. I often wonder if it seems like a strange connection to bring together Norse mythology, Jungian psychology, and Stoic philosophy. It feels like a natural connection to me, and hopefully, this episode will help to explain a little bit about my thinking on the, these topics. So, first of all, these are all systems for finding wisdom. The Stoics, in particular, are interested in finding practical wisdom. the The Greek word prudencia, or similar to the English word prudence, is how does it answering the question how does a person live their life? These are the ethical questions of Stoic philosophy. And when you dive deep enough into Stoic philosophy, you'll find that it's necessary to understand their metaphysical worldview of the ancient Greek Stoic philosophers in order to understand the reasons for their ethics. Their worldview is a providential cosmos directed by divine reason. It's a materialist world. The outer reality does really exist. But human consciousness is the spark of divinity to allow for some small room for choice, reasoning, and free will within a largely predetermined fate. To choose to live life in accordance with the grand universal nature. Jungian psychology is also focused on finding truth, finding your true nature, the true self, clarifying your self-deception and the parts of the self repressed within the unconscious in order to create a unified, integrated self, finding and understanding the soul, which is unique to you as an individual Yet at the same time, a reflection of the archetypal soul, our shared humanity. World mythologies were an important piece for Carl Jung to understand the unconscious. How do you understand the parts of the mind that you're not conscious of? If it were conscious, then it wouldn't be the unconscious. The unconscious reveals itself when we are not overly focused or intellectual, it slips out. It's reflected in feelings and moods, it's the wisdom in poetry, examining dreams and it's the work of a mystic. Norse mythology brings a language of the archetypes and the archetypal hero's journey, which is the journey towards individuation for Jungians. Also, the path of the Prokopton for the Stoics. The word Prokoptan means one who is making progress. The pantheon of gods can be seen as, a, as the facets of the human soul, of human potentialities. The archetypes are always extreme. It's not healthy for practical human functioning to aspire to be a god, a warrior, a sage, Odin, or even Christ himself. But we have the potential for all of these. And Jungian psychology and Stoic philosophy tell us that integration or balance of the parts, for the Stoics that's moderation or temperance, is what's needed to have a good spirit. The word for the Stoics, eudaimonia, can be translated as happiness or as smoothly flowing life, but breaking down the word, beginning of the word you means good, daemon means your spirit, and ea is the state of being in a good spirit, living a smoothly flowing life in accordance with fate or nature. The Greek and the Roman mythologies are more refined than Norse mythology. The Athenians lived in a miraculous time, quite like our own, of relative prosperity and peace, where people had time to sit and think rather than only work and fight. The Greeks did an amazing job of capturing the wide range of human potentiality, both in the masculine and the feminine spirit within their mythology. And this still inspires our modern culture, it inspired artists throughout the, uh, well, mo- much of our history, but even in the 1600s, 1800s, um, that the the Greek gods, the, the, the archetypes that they developed there have inspired artists. And, Jean Shinoda Bolin is a Jungian um, analyst and author. Her book, The Goddess in Every Woman, really identifies these parts where the, the Greek mythology captures the feminine spirit. Um, also, Robert Johnson's book, She. But in contrast, the Norse mythology is raw. It was captured with relatively little revision in the poetic edda and was a little more significant revision and interpretation in the prose edda. The poetic edda captures the oral poetry tradition of the Norse at that moment where the intellectual skill of writing from the Roman Catholic tradition met the archaic pagan spirituality of the Viking culture and the, the oral tradition of poetry of the Skaldic poets. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you can tell my favorite parts of the poetic Edda are when it seems like the authors didn't entirely understand what they were documenting, and the story is disjointed and unrevised. That's when I feel like we're really getting at some truth many cultures, which could be called primitive or archaic, um, as Jung did, but also, which is uh, no longer politically correct. Many other cultures, they made contact with the Western tradition of documenting knowledge, which in modern times is ethnology or anthropology at a much later date. One way to say this, that's what Snorri was doing is documenting an old culture. Um, But can you only imagine if the Viking oral poetry was documented in the 1940s rather than um, in the uh, 11th or 12th century, um, we'd have audio tapes and interviews with native speakers. But the Norse tradition, which was one of the last vestiges of Western European or Germanic traditions, is nearly lost as we colonized and domesticated ourselves. But the archaic man is still present as a part of the human soul, even if it is repressed in the modern person. The pagan spirituality underlying and influenced by Norse mythology is another method or therapy of the human soul, just as Jungian analysis or Stoic philosophy and the inspired cognitive behavior therapy attempt to address human suffering in our modern times. Magic, to my understanding, is a process of seeking inner understanding, divination, and creating rituals to behaviorally bring the wisdom found within into action into the outer world to make it real. Norse mythology repeatedly comes back to the theme of fate, hence the need or desire to divine one's fate. A predetermined fate for humans and gods, where the Norns are the three primordial weavers of fate. Odin is the king and the sorcerer of the gods, but he cannot accept that he does not have power over fate. And Loki is the trickster who seems to appear as an agent of fate, when you think you can deceive fate, this trickster clarifies that you're only deceiving yourself. Fate will occur as it is ordained, even if it is in unexpected ways. In many ways, studying Greek mythology would seem to make much more sense when you're trying to understand the Greek Stoics worldview, which is related the that time period around the Mediterranean is related to the Egyptian Hermetics, which influenced Greek mythology and their philosophy, but then also the Christian alchemists, Who were really a source of inspiration for Carl Jung to develop his system of psychology and individuation. But the Norse mythology has a peculiar charm. It's not corrupted by excessive wealth and leisure. The poetry being shared as late as 900 AD is completely foreign to the modern logical worldview. I think as Sean and I have mentioned, the idea of logical versus mythological. But at the same time, as it is very archaic, it's also more contemporary to our time. These are the poems that were still being shared at nine hundred A.D., compared to the Greek mythologies that are inspired by a tradition that began maybe even going back to five hundred B.C. or much earlier, uh, inspired by the Egyptians. That the Greek mythology passed through many stages of translations, revisions, and analysis as they decide decided what parts to keep. The Norse mythology kind of went through the filter of Snorri Sturluson and otherwise is. Uh, hopefully close to what was the poetic tradition, the oral poetry tradition. The philosophy of a Roman emperor does seem particularly relevant today as advice for how to consciously or mindfully survive the failing empire that we're living in right now. But the Norse give a path to understanding the archaic man within, the shadow. As Sean and I have discovered while taking a deep dive into each myth, the archetypal figures of the Norse gods Are predominantly the shadow versions of the archetypes. They are extremes. They're not ideals. They're not figures to emulate. But how do we make the unconscious conscious? To see the edges of our own shadow, which slip through in the myths, and then possibly to see more of the parts of our whole self. These are the passions to the Stoics, which are unhelpful for a virtuous, functional ego, or governing faculty. They call the hegemonicon the part of the soul which rules, which makes the choice, which is needed to function and contribute in a polite society, but to feel deeply, to lust and desire, to take what we want, to deceive ourselves and others, to be lazy, cowardly, resentful, unmanly, to defy fate. These are all the themes of Norse mythology, and these are all parts of the human shadow. To improve as a Stoic is to recognize these vulnerabilities or risks that might lead us away from virtue. You have to catch these false impressions in order to not act on them. To pretend that they're not there is to risk acting on them unconsciously. For Jungians, it is similar. The personal shadow must be integrated. The archetypal shadow is too powerful and must be clarified as outside of the self. But the personal shadow must be acknowledged, respected, and negotiated with. To find rituals to act it out consciously rather than the unconscious defense mechanisms or other mindless harm is caused to the self or to others. The Stoics, or at least according to my reading of Pierre Hodeau, say that because of the faculty of reason, we all want what is good for us. It is only due to assenting to false impressions that we do not clearly see what is good. That we do not see what is good for others is what is good for us. That's the virtue of justice. The shadow also wants what is good for us. But it it does not utilize the faculty of reason unless we, the ego or the hegemonicon, bring it to the table. To negotiate with and to integrate the shadow is to acknowledge the passions, give them their due respect, and then be the adult in the room that makes a decision on how we act. In dialectical behavior therapy, one of the quotes is that all feelings are valid. It is an experience that occurs, an impression that did arise then we have to notice it mindfully and make a conscious choice about what to do with that impression. To deny the existence of the passions, the false impressions, or the shadow's good intentions is to leave the shadow to its own devices, allowing it to build up stronger and stronger in a dark closet. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've been enjoying this season. Sean and I will be back next week, I believe. The next episode will be on the capture of Loki. Thank you.